If you are able, uh, please stand as we turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel 6. This is God's holy and infallible word. We'll read verses 1 through 15. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could not find but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption, inasmuch as he was faithful, and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials, and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, his roof chamber had windows above uh, open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, The statement is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, 
recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Let's pray. O Father, help us and bless this your word. Help us, we pray, to see your work and your hand and your mighty deliverance for your servant Daniel and help us to have boldness even when we suffer persecution for the sake of the gospel. We ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. How are we to face persecution if it comes to us? Um, some who look at news and some who look at what goes on in other parts of the world, such as uh, Europe and Canada, they say that it might be just a matter of time before there might be some form of persecution for Christians here in America. Second Timothy 3.12 says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It might not be by government. It might not be... Um, by some state official, but it might be on your job, it might be by your family, but again, all who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This book gives us guidelines. It gives us, I would say, even an example of boldness in how we ought to suffer for the sake of Christ. It gives us An example of how we ought to stand when we are threatened or persecuted for the sake of our faith. Whether it be by a fiery furnace or by a den of lions. There are examples here in this book that teach us how that we ought to face threats of persecution. Daniel served under Nebuchadnezzar. And if you remember back, this vision that Nebuchadnezzar had was one of a great statue that represented the kingdoms of the world. This statue had a, a head of gold. This is, comes from Daniel 2. The statue had a head of gold which represented Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian kingdom. And now, at this point, Darius is under rule, and he is the one who uh, is the ruler of the Medes and Persians. And a lot of folks would say that the Medo-Persian Empire at this time is the one that represented the breast and the arms of this great statue, the, the breast and the arms made of silver. And this Darius, the Mede, I believe, and we'll find out in, in today's text, had a great respect for Daniel and saw the gifts of Daniel, as we will notice. King Nebuchadnezzar uh, here uh, had passed on, and now it's the son of Nebuchadnezzar also died, and Belshazzar had died according to the um, prediction of that great vision of the handwriting on the wall. Now Darius here is serving. We'll notice today's text uh, two main points. Daniel's persecutors is the first, and secondly, Daniel's faith in persecution. So let's first look at Daniel's persecutors in verses 1 through 4. Those who sought Daniel's life were his governing co-workers 
and his political rivals, verses 1 through 4. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. The king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to the government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence uh, or corruption was found in him. Now, when you read the word satrap, think of rulers, government officials. Um, You think these men, if they would have had the kingdom's best interest at heart, they would have loved what Daniel did because Daniel was a faithful man and he served the king in an extraordinary way. How great do you think this kingdom would have been if they had 10 or 12 people like Daniel serving in the leadership? But you come to find out that they didn't care about what was good for the kingdom. They cared what was good for who? Themselves. The reason they sought to persecute Daniel is because they coveted what he had. They coveted his esteem that was given to him by the king. They coveted his prospective position that instead of having three commissioners over all the satraps, Daniel might be what would be considered the chief commissioner over the 120 satraps set over all the kingdom. So again, these men were serving themselves first and foremost. They were jealous and covetous. But they couldn't find any evidence against Daniel according to the way he was practicing his position in rule. Um, Sometimes we can be kind of, what's the word? We can be very cynical regarding people in government. We can say that everyone in government is corrupt, everyone in government is is lousy, but here's an example of a government official, Daniel, who was faithful. He was faithful, he wasn't negligent, he wasn't doing anything wrong in any way whatsoever, so they couldn't find any accusation against him in that regard. But notice this other sinister plot that they had in verses 5 through 9. Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the high officials, and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes any petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days shall be cast into the lion's den. 
Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. Notice how these men were so crafty. They knew that he was faithful. They knew that Daniel was faithful. They, they knew that they couldn't find corruption. I'm sure that they could find corruption in every one of, of their fellow satraps, likely, and many of, and the other two commissioners were likely people that it was custom that you could find some sort of accusation against. But maybe they were surprised. But instead, they said, we will find an accusation concerning the law of Daniel's God. And they knew that Daniel would not back away from something concerning the worship of God. And they were right. Daniel was willing to suffer death rather than being unfaithful to the God of heaven. Now, King Darius likely went along with this. Why did he go along with this? Because I think that this, in, this law that they made was flattering to him. Am I not important that no one in the whole of my empire will make a supplication to anyone else except to me? Am I not great? Of course, they didn't. he probably didn't think that he was taking the place of God of heaven, that no one would be allowed to pray to the God of heaven, but instead he was the only one that a petition should be made to. But I guess... He thought of himself more than, than God at this point. So he went along with this. But as we will see shortly, the king's self-exaltation kind of comes crashing down after he realizes that he was used, he was manipulated just for the sake of killing a man named Daniel who these men hated. They didn't care about the king's honor. They cared about using him as a tool to execute a political rival. So let's look at next at Daniel's faith in persecution. Verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Now, some might ask this question and say, well, why did Daniel have to be praying in such a very public fashion? In the first place, Daniel prayed upon his rooftop, and it looks like it was a, a rooftop with a separate little small building or room on top of the roof with windows, and that was his custom to pray there. Um, now, the king, this was not something that was so out in the open as we'll find that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for, but at the same time, it was something that was visible that his political rivals were aware of Daniel's practice. I don't think the king was aware of it, because the king probably wasn't one to go scoping out Daniel's place of, an, 
of living. But if you had people who sought after the life of someone like Daniel and you wanted his position, I'm sure people would like to spy him out and, and watch him and see everything that he did. But again, this was a, a long-standing custom that Daniel had. Why did he open his windows and want to pray to Jerusalem? I don't think there's a command in Scripture that say, it says that this is a, a, something that we are commanded to do by the regulative principle, but he longed for, he longed for Jerusalem. He longed to, to return to Jerusalem maybe before he died. Maybe he prayed that God would allow him or maybe his, uh, some of his people to return one day. But for him to stop doing something that was a customary practice for him would have been to violate his conscience. And Martin Luther, when he stood before the Diet of Worms, said this, To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. So he didn't want to go against his conscience. He, didn't want, he felt that if he would have been shamed to no longer pray in the customary manner that he prayed for for maybe some years, he would have been sinning against God, and that would have been a violation of his conscience. But concerning our prayer life, I'd like us to look at a passage of Scripture in, in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. Jesus says this, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, in light of what Jesus says here about praying in one's inner room, some people say prayer closet, but I think it's kind of hard to pray in a closet. An inner room is a better way to translate it probably. You have to be careful to not take our Savior's instructions, which was given a very, very long time after the life of Daniel, and try to retro, retroactively apply it back to Daniel and say, oh, well, Daniel was not, was not right in what he did in the way that he did it, because look what Jesus says here in Matthew 6. Daniel, Daniel was not praying on the street corners. He wasn't making a big scene. It was in the privacy of his own home, but yes, it was with windows open. Just enough for spies to watch. Now, I'm sure if Daniel heard the teaching of Jesus, he would have done it in a different fashion, but then again, you can't take what is written much later, many, many, many years after Daniel had long past gone to be with the Lord and try to apply it back again to Daniel. Getting back to Daniel... It says here in verses 11 through 13, this accusation then, after they saw what Daniel did, how what they brought before King Darius. 
verses 11 through 13. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god besides you, O king, for thirty days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, The statement is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Notice, they get the king to restate the law and his agreement with the law and his awareness that it has been made according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be undone, before they then spring the issue of who it is that transgressed the law. Verse 13. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. So rather than the king holding his head high, saying to himself, Am I not great that no one makes petition to anyone else, God or man, except to me? Instead of having his head, his head held high, he moves from being proud to being deeply distressed because he realized he was duped. He was deeply distressed because he had been manipulated by these commissioners and satraps, not because they honored him, but because they held spite and resentment and jealousy for Daniel. Look at, look at how the king reacted. Verse 14. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. I firmly believe that if the king was aware of the practice of Daniel, that Daniel would, would pray and would kneel and pray to his God three times a day, that he would not agree to this law in the first place. If he would have known that these manipulative men would have made this sort of law and recommended him uh, sign it, and seal this law and put it into action, he would have not agreed with it. But realizing what happened, he tries to, to follow whatever legal, legal procedure possible to save Daniel. But then Daniel's enemies go on into the presence of the king. They, they agree together and they all say, well, let's, let's go before the king all at the same time. And they put pressure on the king even though it would later bring the king's anger upon them. Look at verse 15. These men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. I believe they realized that this probably 
was like twisting the king's arm behind his back. You know what, king? You have to follow this law because it is irrevocable. Daniel must be cast into the lion's den. As you agreed in making this law, of course, with our persuasion, for our manipulative purposes, but the king, I'm pretty sure the king was a little bit upset with these guys, but maybe they felt like, well, after Daniel is devoured by the lions, maybe we'll try to appease him later on. And next Lord's Day evening, we'll see how that goes for them. Um, didn't go so well, as we will notice. Again, as we look at today's text, in the face of persecution of which we're told all who desire to live godly will be persecuted, will we be able to follow an example like Daniel? Daniel was aware that people were watching. Daniel was aware that if he continued in following and worshiping God according to his custom, it would lead to his death, or at least his death unless God intervened. But he did so anyway. We find this example as well with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, we would rather die than deny our Lord. We would rather die, but we believe that if our God delivers us, so be it. But if we die, so be that. And that's the kind of thing that we find that Daniel has the same sort of faithfulness. Modern Christians in the Middle East, they suffer similar threats as well. Many of them, if they worship Christ and they turn away from worshiping Allah, they will suffer death, especially in places like Iran, if they are caught. But they are willing to suffer death in order to worship Christ as their Lord and Savior. How are you? How are you able to do so? I believe because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done for us, we have a reason for greater boldness to face persecution. Because we don't have to wonder whether or not, well, if we're taken from this life, whether or not we'll go to be with the Lord, because Christ has taken away the sting of death for those who truly believe. There's no longer a sting of death because we don't have to fear judgment. As it said in Romans chapter 1, there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has freed us from the law of sin and death. The Father sent his only Son in the likeness of sinful flesh that he condemned sin in the flesh. That's why I believe that we can have a greater boldness to suffer persecution because we are assured, according to Holy Scripture, that there is no longer a condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you have that assurance? Not everyone does, and at times it, it's something that we have to work 
toward. And uh, the confession that we have says that we are to work toward developing a, a greater assurance of our salvation. Some st- struggle long and hard to obtain it, but that is something that I think that is very fruitful for every Christian to pursue, that we could be willing to suffer in the same fashion like Daniel. Let's pray together. We thank you, our glorious Lord. We thank you that you have given unto your servant Daniel an excellent spirit, that especially that you gave him a spirit of faithfulness, a faithfulness even to you, O God, that he was willing to even suffer death rather than deny you worship. Help us, we pray, to heed the example, to follow the example given to us even by this great and holy man, even Daniel. And help us to realize that through Jesus Christ and his perfect work in our lives, that there was no longer any condemnation for those of us who have faith in Christ Jesus. Help us to have this assurance and help us to be able to stand even in the face of persecution. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our concluding hymn, let's stand and sing 485, 485, Like a River Glorious.